0: we are jumping into the gospel according to John yet another time we've been here now for a while you can bet we're gonna be here for a little while longer (laughs) Uh, and let me just say this that even now I'm beginning to pray and, and think about where I'm going which book I'm gonna jump to after we finish up John so if you have some enlightenment from God Uh, In regard to that, I certainly would appreciate it if you would share it with me. Uh, Because very often God speaks through you to me. Uh, Very often people think it's always the pastor speaking forth to the people. That's not always true. Very often you speak forth to me. And I appreciate that very much. But we've been talking now about the trial of Jesus for the last several weeks and, uh, and I know I'm going to be a little bit repetitive in some of the things I might say today. Uh, I was sitting there this morning. When I start working on these sermons, I'll be working on next week's sermons starting first thing in the morning. First thing I do when I come in here on Monday mornings is take a look at the text that I'm going to be preaching through for the rest of the week. And then I work on it a little bit, you know, day after day and... Usually by the time Saturday gets around, then I kind of have things finalized and, uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, I think God is, you know, the more you dig into this stuff, the more you get this enlightenment by the Holy Spirit. That You, you know, I could sit down t- this morning and write an entirely different sermon based upon the text that we have uh, before us today. The, the, the Word of God is just so rich and so deep. Uh, And so meaningful, and just forever speaks to your heart, and to your mind, and to your soul. And I just I hope that we are many things, but one of the things that we would be described as being would be people of the Word, who not only know the Word, but also practice and live the Word. Actually, we're going to be looking at the same text that we did last week to some degree. That uh, we didn't read or we didn't preach on all of the text. We just preached on some of it. And I'm going back today to try to fill in the blanks. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, so this is chapter 18, verses 33 through 40. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one of you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Well, what is going on at this particular part or point in the, the what we call the trial of Jesus is, remember the Jews refused to go into Pilate's uh, house is presumably where they are uh, because it was Passover week and they did not want to defile themselves by going into this Gentile place so they stayed outside while Pilate was interrogating Jesus on the inside and periodically Pilate would go out and speak to the Jewish people and then he would go back and interrogate Jesus uh, even some more and We've been looking more about the, at the conversation that took place between Pilate and Jesus the last uh, couple of weeks. And I just want to make some observations first before we dig into some things. One of the things is this, is that, uh, that Pilate understands something that is going on here. And it is this, that these Jewish leaders are attempting to manipulate him in order to accomplish their desired end. It's clear to him, he has no questions or qualms about that, and that their intention from the very beginning is to have Jesus put to death. He, on the other hand, has interrogated Jesus and he's come to the conclusion there really is no reason why this man should be executed. He has, has not committed any capital offense. But just remember this. They needed him to do for them what they were bound not to do by Roman law. They could arrest people, they could try people, they could punish people, but they could not take anyone's life. They could not apply capital punishments. And this whole process through which they're going makes it very clear to us that this was their desired end of these proceedings from the very beginning. It wasn't just to have Jesus arrested. It wasn't just to shut Jesus up in prison. It wasn't to do this, that, or the other. Their intention all along was to have him, in essence, murdered. And Because there was a Roman law that said that they could not execute anyone themselves. It had to be done by Roman authority. This is the only reason they have taken it before Pilate to begin with. And just remember this, Peter will later describe these events. And what he says to Jewish leaders is this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See, this is the charge against these Jewish leaders, and that is ultimately whose hands is the blood of Jesus on, and it's on their hands. We've seen Pilate squirm, you know, see this whole thing. He's trying desperately to come up with what he considers maybe to be a legitimate reason for executing Jesus. But he hasn't come up with one. He hasn't violated any law that he believes is worthy of capital punishment. I think there's something going on here that rubs him even even more the wrong way, and that is this. He knows that he is being manipulated by these Jewish leaders, and he hates it. He's a pride and arrogant man. And he understands that they are finagling through all of this in a manner that they're they're in essence encouraging him, maybe not forcing him, but really encouraging him to murder an innocent man just because they want that innocent man murdered. And we understand some things, and what is this is that Jesus had to die. Someone had to kill Jesus. If that had not taken place, then you and I would not have salvation. I think I said something very sobering last week when I said that we, in fact, are the ones who killed Jesus. I want to explain myself. Jesus came into the world to live and die for you and I. His blood... Covered our sins and, and the sins of many of other thousands, millions down through history. Not the sins of every person that has ever breathed air. So I just want you to understand there's a sense in which Jesus came to die for us, for me. Therefore, there's a sense in which it was my sins that killed Jesus. You follow what I'm saying? That makes a big difference when we start looking around at other people. It's very easy for us to look at the lives of other people and say, look, you know, look what you're doing and, you know, and, and all that sort of thing. But it really hits home because very often we have this idea that I know I'm a somewhat of a bad person. I have my bad days and I have some bad attributes and this, that, and the other. But by and large you know, on the measure of, of whether I'm a decent, upstanding person or not, then I think I'm pretty doing pretty well on that. But I think one of the most important things for Christians is for us to accept the responsibility of the death of Jesus. Not to push it off on other people. Every one of us should be able to say this, Jesus died because of me because of my sins and let me tell you if jesus came into the world to to, to just save you he still would have had to die and we keep that in mind i'm not saying that we should dwell on that all the time because let me tell you something if you dwell on that all the time it could very well destroy you spiritually that it is something that we need to give some thought to, at least on occasion, to bring things back down to reality, to the anchor. We know that God, in essence, is manipulating all of these circumstances to his own particular desired end. He's just allowing sinners to sin. Sin. That's all he's doing. He doesn't have these people on puppet strings. He's not whispering in Pilate's ear every word that he's supposed to say. But we need to understand that some people might look upon this and believe that this is the one time in the whole history of the world that God actually lost control of things. My friends, that is far from the truth. This is all taking place because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit agreed that this is the manner in which people will be saved from their sins. I don't know if I read this or not, but this is what Peter says later on to These Jewish leaders, this Jesus delivered up according to what? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So God planned it, but then he says, But you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. He's talking to Jewish leaders when he says that. I don't know how you could make anything any clearer than that. He's telling these guys that that were part of this conspiracy to kill Jesus, he's telling them, you killed Jesus. Now remember, we talked about Peter, how he bragged that he would never desert Jesus, that he would stand with him firm as he could, could. And the first opportunity came up, he was threatened by a little servant girl who was insignificant as far as the culture goes. Denied Jesus three times. So Peter is coming to those leaders. He knows he's not an innocent victim in all of this. The point I'm trying to make is this, is, you know, from a human perspective, things are transpiring just as the Jewish leadership wanted them to. But ultimately what's transpiring is what God had determined would happen. He's just allowing sinners to be sinners, not restraining them, not holding them back. Remember the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob, from Genesis. All the bad that his brothers did to him, selling him into slavery and, and all of that. And then, you know, there was famine in the land in the north and in Egypt too. But, G- but God had provided for Egypt through Joseph and his wisdom for those years of famine. But Jacob and his family were starving up in Palestine. And so he sent Joseph's brothers, except for the youngest one, Benjamin, down to Egypt to get grain. And we know the rest of the story that uh, that eventually... You know, they find out that uh, this great ruler in Egypt is actually their brother, Joseph, that they sold into slavery. (laughs) Can you imagine how shocking that that news would fall upon you? You obviously had, had the power and the authority to have them executed on the spot. And we know people, and we know that very often people are vengeful. And that sort of thing. So you can understand why his brothers were in abject fear when they found out who he was. But this is what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive, As they are today. The very same thing can be said about these circumstances surrounding Jesus. The same God is bringing about his desired end by allowing both the Jewish leaders and Pilate to do that which comes naturally to them to sin by judging condemning and killing Jesus and I want to say this to you this morning God does not manipulate anyone God has never manipulated anybody to do anything that they did not wish to do ever The only thing he does sometimes is loosen the reins a little bit and he lets sinners sin. Something that comes very naturally to them and to us. We don't even need any help to do it or even any nudging. Now, I want to remind us this morning that there's one thing that keeps us—we're all sinners—but there's one thing that keeps us from being worse sinners, and that is this: is God has the reins, and He's holding us back by His grace. If that thought will not humble us, I don't know what in the world possibly could. Could God have prevented Adam and Eve from giving in to the temptation of eating the forbidden fruit? You bet he could have, but he didn't do that either. He knew where it would all lead. But God very often takes what people intend for evil and brings good, very great good, out of it. And the best and greatest example of that is the trial and tribulation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, I want to emphasize this. You and I manipulate people all the time most of us won't admit to it but we do we know how to get our wife or our husband to do what we want him to do that sort of thing i just want to reiterate this god has never manipulated anybody ever one single time ever manipulation is very often very sinful And this is what these, what these Jewish leaders are trying to do. They're trying to manipulate the circumstances in a manner that they come out with the end that they desire. Now one of the things that's come clear with, with, with this conversation between Pilate and Jesus is that Jesus is in fact a king. And unlike Pilate, His power and authority is not temporal. It is eternal. He has always been king. He always will be king. And by the way, he is king as he's standing before Pilate. His kingdom... Or Pilate says to him, so you are a king. And Pilate at that point still doesn't really have a clue of the magnitude of what his lordship and kingship entails and encompasses. He is not only a king, he is the king of everything. This kingdom will never end. It is an eternal kingdom. Don't you hate it when people have power over you, especially people you don't have a lot of respect for? Some of you are smiling. I have half a mind to ask you why. Maybe after the service. They're only doing what he's allowing their sin to do. His suffering at the hands of these men will be but for a very short time. Just think of this. Every one of the Jewish leaders and Pilate and everyone else involved in this conspiracy, they have died, and at the moment they've died, they have come into the holy presence of Almighty God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and also, guess who? God the Son. Uh-oh. Oops. Oops. Boy, did I mess this one up. They know now their great error. And they will suffer eternally for it. But just let me tell you this. That even if they suffer, you know why they suffer eternally? Because as much as they suffer, it's never sufficient to cover the crime. Just think about this. Jesus at any moment could have brought every one of these people who were conspiring against him to their knees. And he didn't do that. His suffering will be for a very short time. Their suffering, on the other hand, will be eternal. Never ending. You may not realize it, but the Romans actually did believe in an afterlife. Most of the ancient cultures did, that there was life beyond this life. I would imagine that the life that, uh, that he, this afterlife that, that Pilate is now leading is nothing at all like what he thought it was going to be. He believed it would be grand and glorious. exactly the opposite eternity is a very long time to do many things but eternal suffering unrelenting never-ending We look at that and sometimes we want to think, that seems to be a little bit extreme to me. But you know why? It's because we don't fully understand the crime that these people are guilty of. We don't fully understand the crimes that we are guilty of. Let me clue you into something. You're far worse than you think you are. even where you're at now far worse than you think see when they kill jesus they will believe that they're done with him but they're just just the beginning May be wondering where the disciples are at this point. And the fact of the matter is they scattered like sheep. And I'll start coming back one by one. Except for Judas. And I want to say this too before I forget that we have to understand something, and that is, even though this crowd was overbearingly against Jesus, that there were people there who were part of this who were not. I mean, you think of the the, the, the two men that took responsibility of caring for the body of Jesus after his crucifixion. Who were they? One was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. That Pharisee to whom Jesus has already said that unless you're born again, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. The other one was Joseph of Arimathea. who had become secretly a disciple of Jesus. And why was it secretly? Because he was afraid of what the Jews would do to him if they found out. He was a very prominent person amongst the Jewish community. There's a very good chance they were there. They witnessed all of this. And they let their fears keep them quiet. They weren't there for Jesus in his life. But they were there for Jesus in his death. In his crucifixion, they will be certain that they have done away with him for good. They believe he will no longer cause them any trouble. Boy, were they wrong. Their troubles, in fact, were just beginning. <laughs> I would say that it's very doubtful. I'm not going to say it's an impossibility. It's very doubtful that anyone in this room is going to die by being crucified. There's a good chance that there is a believer in this world today that will die by crucifixion. You need to understand that. But it's not very likely going to be you or me. Peter, disciple of Jesus, was also executed by crucifixion many years later. After he had overcome his fears, after he had become a great leader amongst the apostles in the church. After he had spread the gospel way beyond Judea and Samaria. He was crucified in Rome upside down. Do you know why they did it upside down? It's because he did not believe that he deserved to die in the same manner that Jesus did. So he asked, he requested that they do it upside down. I want to remind us this morning that jesus also said this not just to peter and the other apostles but to us if anyone would come after me or follow me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father, and of the holy angels. God has given all of us in life crosses to bear. That's true for every one of us. And sometimes they come from places we don't expect. And sometimes they turn out to be things that catch us completely blinded. Blindsided. Very often today you have the Christian life painted as this this, this wonderful glorious life. Where you're always happy all the time. And rejoicing all the time. And there is no trouble. There is no strife. There is no struggle. That joyous Christian living. I've been walking with Jesus for thirty-something years now, and I haven't experienced that. I don't know about you. Not that there's not great time. There are times of unbelievable joy in in the walk in in, in the life of a Christian. Unbelievable joy. I've experienced joy as a Christian in ways that I had never experienced joy before by by miles and miles. But I would say the same thing as far as tribulation goes. I've experienced tribulations as a Christian in a a manner, sometimes from places I never expected it to come. Don't believe that being a Christian is always easy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not the reality of the life that we live. Jesus said, you will have struggles. But let me remind us this morning that when struggle comes our way, you know why? Why does it come our way? Because God's mad at us, because God just wants to pour some of his wrath out on us to be vengeful toward us because we've done something stupid? No. For us, it always has an intention. It always has a purpose that we would learn from it, that we would grow as Christians as a result of it. Being a Christian always involves dying to yourself and living for Him. Always, not sometimes, not on occasion, but always. What that actually looks like for you may look very different than what it looks like for me. But this is one of the great advantages of being gathered together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that we have people that we can lean on in our times of trial and tribulation. God does not ask us to exist in this world as islands unto ourselves without any contact and connection with other Christians. We are very weak individually, but we are unbelievably strong together. <coughs> Let me tell you something. When I became a believer, I was pretty good pagan before. I did more of my share of drinking and I'm talking about drinking unto drunkenness I had friends that I partied with and you know when you're drinking you do things that you probably wouldn't do otherwise and this that and the other and that's one of the problems with over drinking is you do stuff that you would not otherwise do I did some of that stuff Like I said, there were times when I overdrank. I hugged or drank a whole fifth of bourbon one night in about 20 minutes. I had to be carried home with puke all over me. I am so happy today that I can tell you. Well, Lori has seen me drunk before. But none of my children have ever seen me close to being drunk. And they're well into their 30s now, except for Caroline. (laughs) What's the difference? Jesus now, no Jesus before. And I'm sure that all of you have seen God act and work in your life in ways that verifies for you over and over again. Because what I can tell you is this, is God saved me from the drink. I did not save myself from it. Some of you are alcoholics. I don't necessarily, I was a social alcoholic, so I didn't drink all the time. But when I drank, I overdrank. But Jesus made the difference. What life actually looks like for you may be very different than it is for me. And I'm not saying that we don't continue to struggle with sins, in particular those besetting sins that we have that just seem to trip us up every time we turn the corner. But we have the promise of God that we are forgiven. Past, present, and future. Even for our part in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiven. Forgotten. Put asunder forever. And never to be brought up again.